Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Good morning, everyone. Tom Brand sitting in for Mike Adams as uh, Mike's enjoying a few days of vacation here around the holidays. Hope that your week has been great so far and continues to be. I tell you what, we've got uh, we've got a good lineup for you on today's broadcast. 2020 has been anything but an ordinary year. How have auctioneers weathered the changes and adapted to the, keep the sales continuing? We'll talk with the chairman of the board of the National Auctioneers Association, Jason Winter. There are two, count them, two shopping days until Christmas. What's going to be on your holiday buffet for the meal as well as the snacks? Well, how about cheese and other ways to include dairy in your holiday meals and celebrations? Stacy Dooley with the Midwest Dairy Association will join us. And first, we'll look back at 2020 as well as a look at the new year ahead as the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall, joins us on the phone line from his farm in Georgia. Good morning, Zippy. Good, uh, good to have you with us. Merry Christmas to you, as well as the millions of Farm Bureau members across the nation. Thanks for joining us. It work cows, so if you hear a cow bellering, it comes straight from Georgia. <laughs> that's that's great. Well, uh, we uh, we appreciate the time you've carved out to be do with us on the air today. I know that Mike has you on one of the segments for tomorrow's best of shows, but I'd like to look back and, and review 2020. How do you um, how do you summarize 2020, Zippy, for uh, for the American Farm Bureau Federation? Well, it's been a difficult year for for all of us. Uh, you know, we went into the year so optimistic that it was going to be a great agricultural year and. And we'd get a lot of policy achievements, and then all of a sudden uh, we got hit by COVID, and we had to kind of change gears at our organization, and uh, we increased our communication back to our state and county farm bureaus to make sure that we were listening at the uh, issues and problems they were facing and tried to find solutions for them in all the areas that we affect, and that's that's, uh, in legislative, administrative, uh, communication, and, and in program work. Despite all the challenges, I know Farm Bureau was able to continue with their work, and and really, uh, just uh, visiting with you prior, I, I know you feel like uh, we really didn't miss a beat this year. No, we didn't miss a beat. Really, we had our people working from home, and and all our states and our grassroots really got adapted to Zoom and the technologies that we use to communicate. And with that increased communication, it really made us become more united and. As we become more united, we become stronger, even stronger than what we were before. So I, I think in the 102-year history of our organization, we're, we're as strong and, uh, and, uh, as we've ever been, and especially relevant to what was going on during that time. What have we learned from COVID-2020 and being able to, to adapt to what we're going to call the new norm for right now? Well, what we've learned is there are some uh, strain points in our uh, food chain, uh, and especially uh, when it comes to uh, employee health. And we have to re- we have reevaluated how we handle our employees from the farm to processing to transportation and even to the grocery store shelf, and making sure that they have all the distancing and all the pr- uh, protection equipment they need to keep themselves protected for the health and so that we can keep the food chain uh, moving along for the American people. Do you feel like uh, if something comes up in the future that we'll be better equipped um, to uh, to be able to keep those those processes and, and movements in place? Oh, I think we are. I think uh, at every level, everybody has evaluated it, and we're, we're a lot more prepared today than we were uh, six or eight months ago because Six or eight months ago, we'd never seen anything like this before, you know. And the and the first mm-hmm. thing that hit us, as far as uh, farmers, was, you know, how were we going to get our workers from foreign countries here to help us plant, take care, and harvest our crop? And that was one of the very first problems that we worked with Secretary Purdue and his department and uh, Department of Labor and the President, President Trump, to make sure that we ironed out the problems that we had there so that those workers could get here. And we were successful, and that was the very first challenge we met. 
If you're going to put a grade on a grade card for 2020 and for Farm Bureau, what kind of grade do you do you see as we wrap up the year, Zippy? Well, I think we got a a, a good A uh, in on that grade card because you know we could have uh, drew back and kind of went inside our shell, not listened to our states, but that we just did the opposite. We made sure that you know each week on Fridays I had all the state presidents. And I had everyone from the President of the United States to the Secretary of Agriculture to the, to the Administrator of EPA and everybody in between on those Wednesday calls. And even on that one Wednesday call when the President was, was with, with us, I had a, a 1,500 county presidents that had the, the President of the United States addressing them individually. So I think we give ourselves an A. Uh, and, of, of course, there's always room to improve, and we'll, we'll be even more prepared for it next time. Uh, but, you know, all those issues, and there were different issues just about every week, we were able to find someone that could help us find a solution for it. And, you know, Congress came through with the CARES package. Uh, they, people reached across the aisle. They did the right thing. Uh, and, you know, i got to hand it to, to the Congress, the Democrats and Republicans, the administration, Secretary Purdue. We couldn't have asked for better partners to work with this year. Let's talk a little bit about this this second round of, of COVID relief package that has, has gone through the House and through the Senate um, overnight. And we know the president has come out and said, send me something that, that works better for the American people. Um, it, it still includes some great provisions for agriculture. Those are solid with any revisions, don't you think? Well, I think so. You know, one of the things, one of the areas in this, this last package that we haven't been able to take care of is uh, – uh, some money going out to contract growers, especially in poultry and some in, in pork. Uh, those were areas that we weren't able to do within the law uh, before, and now we've been able to take care of that that problem, along with some other areas that that it was a little weak in. So we we feel like that this last package, as far as agriculture uh, is, was a, was a success. I know the president has said if uh, Congress doesn't get it done during his watch that it's going to go on to the next administration. Do you think there might be some things in jeopardy if it does end up uh, going into uh, the latter part of January next year? Well, we hope not. But, you know, you never know when a new administration comes in. You, you really uh, you won't know until they hit the ground where their focus is really going to be. And there's going to be so many things on their plate. But we, we're going to be there. Uh, I'm working real hard right now to develop relationships with the individuals that are the the uh, president-elect biden has put into his cabinet uh, actually uh, several of those people have reached out to me personally and the ones that haven't i'm reaching out to them so we're trying to get farm bureau and farmers and ranchers a seat at the table so that we can make sure that they know what's going on in rural america and on our farms and help them make sound policies and sound decisions moving forward so we hope that it all be positive we're surely going to go into it as a teammate of theirs do everything we can do to make good things happen for agriculture and to make this administration that's coming in just as successful as the last one. Zippy, we appreciate you carving out some time to be with us here today. Merry Christmas to you and uh, the entire Farm Bureau family. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you so much. Zip. Thank you. Zippy Duvall is president of American Farm Bureau Federation, our guest here today on Adams on Agriculture. Back with more, visiting with auctioneer Jason Winter when we continue in just a moment. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us is Brian Keel, co-executive director for Farmers for Free Trade. Merry Christmas to you. What is the kind of the agenda or the priority list that the ag community is spelling out for the incoming Biden administration? We need to open up new markets. It's been entirely too long since we've had a real new trade agreement. I mean, we had the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, but that was really an update to NAFTA. You know, in the last really eight years, uh, we've been 
we, the United States, have kind of been sitting on the sidelines of trade. So really opening new markets, that's key number one. Getting rid of existing tariffs that are really a drag on agriculture is key number two. And then three, I think if there's a third message, it's really infrastructure, whether it's broadband uh, deployment for rural America or bridges, ports, rails, inland waterways. The United States need to inve- needs to invest in the infrastructure that allows us to get our goods to market. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. I'm Tom Brand, sitting in for Mike Adams on this Wednesday. Thanks for joining us and being a part of our day. Jason Winter is chairman of the board of the National Auctioneers Association and our next guest on AOA this morning. Jason, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Good to have you on board. And as I was preparing to uh, to fill in for Mike, one of the thoughts that, uh, that quickly came to mind is how 2020 has been a year of change for so many people. And auctioneers have definitely been right in the mix of that. I know uh, you can speak from uh, personal experience as well as um, other auctioneers across the country that they've had to do some changing to make 2020 work even better for them and their businesses. Yeah, exactly. It has been uh, just like every other business out there. There's been challenges come up and it's just where you either had to, um, you know, you had a choice whether or not doing anything or find a way to make it happen and and uh, make it fit in and in, in a safe and, and useful way to stay in business. You know, um, auctioneers have, have been early adapters, I think, of, of new technology for a long time. I remember one of the first auctions I went to, and the auctioneer announced that they were going to be doing, they'd be accepting online bids at the same time, and I thought, wow, um, I, I didn't <laughs> think we did that, you know, at, at this level. Um, it's, it's, it's neat to see that auctioneers have been early adapters, and as a result, so many of them were actually prepared um, for, uh, for being able to do auctions in a different way as, as their customers needed them to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, and, you know, it went from some of the first early things I heard from uh, associates in the business and, and that they, you know, they, they had a live auction on a piece of, on a farm that was coming up for sale and they were trying to get the technology out on the farm and, and uh, a little bit of internet issues and, and things like that. And they needed a social distance. So uh, they actually worked it out where the pickups and cars, the, the bidders came um, they registered outside their window. They stayed in their vehicle, and the auctioneer had a had a speaker out there in front and uh, told them to roll down the window, and if they flashed their light or off the horn, that was going to be a bid. And uh, they actually produced a very successful auction with social distancing in cars even when the Internet wasn't available. But, uh, yeah, many of, many auctioneers have changed that. It was like uh, so many were standing kind of on that cliff of, do I do online, do I not do online, do I do live and online, what do I do? And 
and this pandemic has uh, it's just made it where you know <laughs> let's jump off the cliff here we go um, we are getting into the you know the internet side of that. What are you hearing so, from uh, from different sectors? You know, I I, I think the the the, um, the number one auctioneer that comes to mind for most of us in the agriculture community are those that do farm sales and and real estate auctions and even the the local livestock barn. We know that there's there's quite the variety though of auctioneers across the country. Are you hearing similar things from uh, from each of them as to how they've had to adapt? Yeah, and and you know the the one thing you mentioned livestock auctioneers are the livestock business and. It, it was pretty well stated nationwide that that's an essential business. Most states um, and communities said that. So, you know, they still had a lot of their live auctions. They, you know, they they worked on their social distancing and things like that. But yet, they also had their their online availability also. So they were using their online platforms. Um, you know, our farm auctions, land auctions that we do. Um, a lot of times we do. Well, we all. It's always almost always live and online. Um, sometimes we we cut back on that live side. We partially from our sellers uh, are nervous about the pandemic and they don't want to be the one that that's where the hot mm-hmm. spot started was at that <laughs> in that community room where we had you know 100 people bidding on a piece of real estate. So you know we've done some of those where it's just strictly online only, and um, and uh, so and when I say that it's online only, that scares some people that they don't want to do that, but. Um, you know, sometimes that online only is acting also internet, online, and over the phone, um, because our ring staff and that are talking to our buyers still, just like they were standing there, but they might be talking to them on the phone too, as they're bidding. You are no stranger oh, yeah. to uh, the auction world. Um, um, <laughs> I, I know that uh, you've been an auctioneer since the early part of the '90s. In fact, fresh—well, not even fresh out of college. While in college, uh, you headed auction school. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. And, um, you know, we started out as that live auction. <laughs> in fact, when I started auction school, I tell people that I sent a letter to Worldwide College Auctioneer, actually called them, I guess, and then sent a letter saying, hey, I'd like to go to the school because the Internet and the web was not even heard of, um, of course, uh-huh. at that time. And we, we thought we were going to be standing on the back of a farm trailer, you know, for the rest of our business lives. And, and about uh, 12, 15 years ago, we actually started doing live auctions at that point. How, uh, how, how, yeah. how how have you seen the business change in in 1993 when you were in auction school um you know like you say it was it was standing on the standing on the low boy trailer and and holding up items um there's been a lot of change that's happened in the last 20 years oh yeah definitely i mean the 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 online the, it seems like in our area that we've worked is the people are just moving faster and moving around more often than that. And, you know, it used to be, Tom, as you know, we would uh, get the local little church or somebody like that to serve the food. It'd be on a Saturday. We'd have the farm sale all day long. People would come to see their neighbors and friends and visit. And then they would also buy and trade machinery and equipment and livestock that way as they did that. And it was just a social family event. Today, you know, it's the soccer fields and football fields and the lake and all those kind of different things, activities, and it's they don't want to give up their Saturday or, or weekday for that. So uh, we had to change and make it where, you know, we've got a farmer in his tractor working and he's bidding on his iPhone right there or, or phone right there on the steering wheel of the tractor uh, these days. So we've just seen tremendous change that way. And with the with this COVID deal, we we also saw you know well, we got an online auction. We sold all these this product. So how do we social distance and get them delivered or picked up? And we've got programs where people sign up for certain times to pick up so that we don't have too many people at the same time. And and the auctioneers have really uh, worked hard and moved towards that to um, understand and stay safe. What was the attraction for you to get into the auction business? Was there a family connection there, or was it just something you enjoyed? Uh, I always tell people I grew up on a fender of a 3020 John Deere tractor, and we were always at the livestock barn and, and at the farm sales and those kind of things. But, you know, believe it or not, I didn't know there was such thing as an auction school. And a good friend of mine in college, we were at the, the what we call the brown house one night, and nobody said nobody says what happens at the brown house. It all stays at the brown house. But anyway, he, he took me to his room and said, I want to show you this diploma on the wall and he showed it to me at Worldwide College of Auctioneering and I found out there's such thing and, and like you said I signed up before I got out of college because I knew 
once I got out in the working world, it'd be hard to go back to school and and get that done. So, you know, that's kind of how it started. I enjoyed being with people in front of them and and working in the ag type businesses, and so that's kind of how it got all started back in '93. I want to point out that uh, you've had the honor of being named the Missouri Auction Bid Calling Champion in 2018, also inducted into the Missouri Auctioneers Hall of Fame. Uh, you, you've got a lot of years left in a, in a career, I, I think, as well, Jason. So um, really, things are, are just getting started for you. <laughs> well, every day is a new day. You know, Somebody told me it's like a goose. So when they wake up in the morning, it's a whole new day, and that's the way it is for us. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 a, great, it's a great occupation to be in. We... You know, one day we're out on a farm looking at some uh, ag property. The next day we're looking at some commercial property. And and then uh, maybe the next day we're in a machine shop or in a commercial commercial facility. And, and then again, next day we're meeting with someone with an estate that they had a loss in their family and they're dealing with the loss and we're trying to help them out to get get life on, to move on forward with them. So it's, it's, uh, it, it's just a great experience. I mentioned you're also chairman of the board of the National Auctioneers Association. Um, there's a lot of auctioneers across the country, but I know that that being a member of NAA speaks volumes for those auctioneers that have uh, that have taken the time to to be a part of that association too. Yeah, and, and you know, Tom, when you mentioned about being on with you here, I you know I pull up the site, and especially with uh, with this COVID deal, I looked at uh, we've got a section on the website that's probably got. Uh, maybe 80 different documents or videos or that as far as dealing with um, this change in just the pandemic and, and things like that to help our members and to um, to help those that they work for as far as information that they can pass on and, and those kind of things. And that's what the DNA is all about. It's about the, the membership and the work of each other and, and um, numbers are power. And uh, as a group, we can get more stuff done together than we can individually. So you know, that's why that's one of the biggest things I believe about the National Auctioneers Association: the education and and then the power and numbers of working together. There's uh, most everyone listening has a relationship with their auctioneer, but boy, if if they're finding themselves in an, in an area where they say, "I just don't know who to go to," I know there's a great search engine that's available at uh, at your website, auctioneers.org. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. Well, Jason, uh, thanks for the time to join us today, and, and uh, we appreciate it. Best of luck uh, to you and the, and the rest of the year, this holiday season, as well as the upcoming New Year. Jason Winter, Chairman of the National Auctioneers Association, our guest this morning with AOA, Adams on Agriculture. We're going to talk with one of those coronavirus trial um, volunteers coming up after this. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Raw with a market check here on this Tuesday's trading session. Grain markets are mixed as the strength witnessed on Monday cannot be maintained completely. Volume is much thinner this holiday week, which could exaggerate moves and require more demanding risk management. On the Board of Trade, March corn is trading a fraction higher at 440 and a quarter. The May contract down a fraction at 441 and three quarters. March soybeans trading a penny lower at 1240 
36 and a quarter. The November contract down two at 10.89 and a quarter of a cent. Chicago wheat march up a penny and three quarters at 6.13. Kansas City wheat march down a penny and a fraction at 5.73 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat march down a penny and a fraction at 5.69. Livestock activity is expected to remain subdued Tuesday and throughout the rest of this week with the focus on the Christmas holiday on Friday. This should put the focus on cash cattle market development over the next couple of days. In cash cattle country, it's still uneventful with bids and asking prices yet to surface. Trade is expected to develop sometime Tuesday or Wednesday to avoid Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Feedlots are anticipated to price cattle at least a dollar to two dollars higher this week. On the Board of Trade, February live cattle trading 55 cents lower at 114.12. The April contract down 40 at 118.30. Feeder cattle March down 50 cents at 142.62. The April contract down 47 at 144.27. February lean hogs up 32 at 66.22. The April contract up 5 at 70.05. Taking a look at the outside markets, the Dow is down 134 points, the Nasdaq Composite up 67, the S&P 500 down 2, crude oil in New York down 78 cents at 47.19 per barrel. The U.S. dollar index is trending higher. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. I'm Tom Brand, sitting in for Mike Adams today. Thanks for joining us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. You know, 43,661 people stepped up whenever Pfizer came out and said, we would like to do a trial for a coronavirus vaccine. 43,661 Americans stepped up and said yes. One of those is Janice Keene, who I've known for a number of years with her background in agriculture communications and also working in the the animal livestock business. She's our guest for this segment of the program as we visit with her about that experience. Janice, thanks for joining us today, and and thank you, uh, first of all, for being a part of this, this trial. Well, thank you so much, Tom. Um, It's been a real whirlwind experience with COVID-19 and then the vaccine trial, but I'm really thrilled to have a chance to share my experiences with your listeners. Well, you are a farm kid with a a background in dairy and in animal science and working for some breed associations, as well as I mentioned, um, some different uh, marketing roles and communication roles in, in the agriculture community. Um, with with that knowledge and background, how did you uh, how did you happen to get involved with a medical trial for this coronavirus vaccine? Well, when I started hearing at the end of last year, beginning of this year, about COVID nineteen and what a horribly dangerous and easily transmissible virus it was. Um, and knowing that I personally have some underlying health conditions, I was really concerned personally. And um, also because of my work experience, I really have had a long trust in FDA and USDA approved products and the whole approval and review process. So that just made me want to sign up for a trial and experience it firsthand, knowing if I was one of the fortunate few to get the vaccine rather than the placebo, my life would get back to normal that much more quickly too. 
How did you happen to hear about the trial? I mean, I, I hear these commercials on the radio and, and see some on television from time to time. With the, they're looking for volunteers. Were there advertisements specifically looking for people to be involved with this coronavirus uh, trial, or was it just kind of a general advertisement? I would say it was, it was really uh, just PR information, and that coupled with the fact I currently live in Memphis, Tennessee, and there are two different organizations based here in Memphis who just regularly uh, do trials for company pharmaceutical companies and vaccine companies. So they sent emails, and I happened to receive one of them. So every time I received an email or saw online an opportunity to sign up. I signed up everywhere I could, and one of the local companies actually contacted me in August. All right, so that's how the the process began. Still, you had to get through the selection process after you were initially contacted. That's exactly right. Uh, So during August, uh, the doctor in charge of the local trial contacted me by phone and we talked through my health history. And after a lengthy discussion, she said that I did qualify for the trial. And we set up my very first in-person visit on the last day of August. And that was about a three and a half hour visit. And uh, what we did at that point, we, because of social distancing, we met in small groups and we first watched a very in-depth video from Pfizer because that's the manufacturer of the vaccine uh, for which I'm in the trial for. And that video explained the entire process, talked about potential side effects. And then we went into individual opportunities uh, with their personnel. First, I sat down with a nurse, and once again, we reviewed my health history. I had a physical exam. They did a blood draw to basically establish a baseline of either having or not having any antibody levels. They also did a COVID test because it was important. We had not yet been exposed to COVID to participate in the trial. Then they administered an injection, and it was either a vaccine or placebo. And what's interesting, this is what they call a double-blind study. What that means is that I don't know what I received. Um, All of the people involved with the trial, except for the nurse who injects uh, the fluid into my arm, uh, no one else actually knows what I'm getting. Um, And then I downloaded a mobile app because an important part of the trial is on a weekly basis, I report in whether I'm having any health issues or symptoms. And then they gave me a a kit to take home that had an at-home COVID test, a thermometer, and lots of information about what to do if I thought I had been exposed to COVID. Then I waited 30 minutes and we wanted to make sure that I didn't have any post-injection symptoms and went home. Um, Now, at first, I was kind of disappointed because there was never any redness around my injection site or swelling. And Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, darn, I got the the placebo. But then about six to eight hours later, I changed my my thoughts on that because my arms started getting rather sore. And um, for the next day, I really didn't feel that great. I was pretty tired. I had a few chills and a headache. But really, those symptoms went away on day two. So I I am of the belief right now that uh, I I think I did get the vaccine. Were you told to continue to to do your normal activities or were you encouraged to to quarantine for uh, for a, a length of time after you'd had that uh, that that uh, that first injection or or w- what did you do I guess Janice? Well, they basically said just go about your life as normal because one of the important things of the trial is uh, they really want to see if during our day-to-day exposure we get exposed to COVID and then if we do, whether or not um, the vaccine protects us against that COVID exposure. So, um, you know, for the next 21 days, I went about my business. Um, My second visit in person, uh, because the Pfizer vaccine is a two-dose regimen, um, so this only took about an hour and a half. Once again, I visited with the nurse, and we talked about my post-injection symptoms. And um, while they didn't know for sure, as I described them to her, she said, you know, our, our placebo is saline. And um, wink, wink, nod, nod, we think you probably got the vaccine, too, even though we don't really know. Uh, But they did another Mm -hmm. COVID test and uh, administered the second injection, once again, waited 30 minutes to make sure that there were no post-injection issues. And um, my post-injection experience was very much the same as before. And now, since then, I've had one more visit, in-person visit. That was a month later, in October. 
and that was to do a blood draw, and that would be the first time that they could evaluate uh, the question, you know, did um, the vaccine stimulate an antibody response in my blood? With your background in, in animal agriculture and in agriculture in general, uh, you know, I, I think the, the one thing I've heard from naysayers has been, I just don't know how this, this entire process worked. This is similar to what you've experienced in, in, uh, in, in communications throughout your career, isn't it? Very much so. I, it, but I will say one of the differences is uh, these vaccines are approved for what they call uh, emergency use authorization. So normally in mm-hmm. the animal health world or human world, um, when we develop a vaccine or a pharmaceutical product for that matter, we have actually gone through all of these phases of testing and uh, we would not uh, see a vaccine until everything was complete, but we're still in the midst of what they call phase three trials with uh, the COVID vaccines. And what that means is I'm going to be going back for another blood draw in March of next year, September of next year, and then a year later, because while right now they have answered the question, is it safe? And is it effective at creating immunity? Uh, But we don't know questions like, how long will this immunity last? So that's why all of us enrolled in the trial are are going to be continuing. Another interesting aspect of this, I received a letter from Pfizer a couple weeks ago, right before they had received uh, the emergency use approval from FDA. And they explained that uh, they're going to be letting us all know um, whether we received the vaccine or the placebo. And those participants who uh, received the placebo are going to be offered the chance to actually get the COVID vaccine, but they'll continue in the research trial so that Pfizer can continue to gather as much data as possible uh, to just continue learning about how long-lasting might this particular effect be. So you don't officially know if you've had it, although it seems like uh, the effects that you had uh, following uh, the, that, definitely that, that first injection um, seem to be pointing towards that, that sign. Um, you, you've got to be a believer in this process uh, whenever you, you sign up to be a, a trial participant. Um, wh- why were you so convinced that you wanted to be a, a part of this in Janice? Well, again, it really comes back to my um, really strong trust in our U.S. government authorities and how they go about reviewing um, a product, whether it's a vaccine or a pharmaceutical, before it comes to market. So, and, and I think a lot of people have questions about, well, normally it takes up to 10 years to develop a, a new vaccine and get it approved. How can we have confidence in something that has been um, developed within a year? And what I share with those folks is, um, the the FDA did not skip any steps. What they did was actually, instead of doing them in sequence, they were actually doing a lot of things at the same time. So the way a vaccine gets developed is first companies and universities and governments, uh, they do basic research to try to find what antigen might actually work to prevent this disease. And an antigen just basically induces an immune reaction in humans or animals. And at that point, they're identifying several vaccine candidates to research further. Then they go into what they call phase one and two trials. And that's where they test all of these vaccine candidates. They first figure out which ones are safe. And then they uh, try to determine which of these candidates and at which particular dose is going to deliver the best outcomes for everyone. Now, phase three trials, and that's what um, I have been participating in, is testing the best candidate in the larger population to figure out how exactly effective is that vaccine and to make sure that there's no potential adverse reactions. Then they go through the regulatory review where they research manufacturing and the vaccine and then the post-approval monitoring once it's approved too. So normally think those things Thanks, happen in Janice. sequence. Yep. Thanks, Janice, uh, for, for the information in the background. We appreciate you being a part of that process. Back Hi, with more in a moment. This is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, 
you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And this week, we're talking about changes in E15 fuel sales with Akhtar Hussein, who leads refined fuels marketing at CHS. So the EPA removed the seasonal restriction on E15 fuel sales last summer. Why is that important for agriculture? Well, I think it removes a large barrier from having more commonplace E15 availability in the retail sector. Um, that was one of the biggest challenges, I think, for retailers who were interested in offering a E15 to consumers was the fact that they weren't able to sell that product year-round. So um, this change in the EPA rule really opens up that ability for more retailers to sell E15. Akhtar, if you would, explain what some of the barriers have been that retailers have to overcome to offer year-round E15. That restriction to only sell the product uh, part of the year played into that certainly being a large barrier. But one thing I would like to say is the Senex brand through CHS is the only energy brand today that has an EPA-approved misfueling mitigation plan, which means Senex branded marketers have got some significant barriers removed for them. As an agriculturally-based cooperative and being farmer-owned, uh, we understand the benefit of having higher ethanol fuels offered to consumers. And we think that by giving consumers additional fuel choices, as well as giving our distributors those fuel choices, really uh, should accelerate the adoption of uh, fuels like E15 selling in the consumer marketplace. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
I'm Tom Brand sitting in for Mike Adams on this Wednesday. Thanks for joining us. Merry Christmas to each and every one of you today. And that's what we're going to talk about right now is Christmas and what really uh, makes the holidays uh, maybe a little more special for folks that are coming into your home or the places that you're going. And that's the celebration that comes around the table, whether it's at the meal or at that little tray that's set over to the side. Um, you know what, there's, there's a place there for over one of my holiday favorites, and it's cheese. Stacy Doley with Midwest Dairy Association is Senior Communications Manager and joins us. And Stacy, when it comes to talking about uh, the holidays, cheese is definitely going to be at the center of the table on a lot of holiday celebrations uh, coming up in the days and the weeks ahead. Well, Tom, we sure hope so. Uh, you know, our dairy farmers really want everybody to enjoy that cheese that they uh, have been out and, and uh, their cows have been producing that great tasting milk to get out there to make that cheese, but we want everybody to enjoy it. And I think that's one of the, the great things about holidays or any time during the year is that people can enjoy uh, cheese and all the different types of cheeses that are out there, and, and uh, everybody loves it. That's the great thing about it as well. Absolutely. We roll back the calendars, and, and, and we know that there has um, been some unfortunate situations for, for parts of the country when it's come to, uh, to dairy production. Um, there's also been some great things that have come out of, uh, of 2020. Uh, I, I know visiting with some different farm broadcasters, we've seen that uh, the, that brief amount of time when there had been some dumping of milk, that processing stepped up, and they said we're going to we're going to make more cheese. We also had a lot of folks that were using more cheese, whether it was uh, pizzas um, that were were being delivered out to uh, to folks, or uh, some some special promotions that took place. So there is an abundance of cheese that's out there, but there's also an abundance of of different types of cheeses that are available to folks then too. Well, that's, you know, we've we've talked about this before, too, and, and that's what with the pandemic and everything in 2020, it sure threw us all for a loop as far as whether we were out out eating at at, uh, at uh, fast food restaurants or out at our local favorite restaurant because that's always a great um, user of dairy products, especially cheese and, and other dairy products that they use. But then, you know, people were staying at home, and, and one of the things that we really uh, have been with the checkoff pushing over the past few years is, you know, we want people to fall in love with dairy again, learn how to cook. And if they are at, are at home, that dairy products are a great way that they can incorporate that into any meal. And so we did have a chance to to see that. And, and people really did realize that uh, that is one of the things that they love to do at home and, and can continue that trend. And we hope that trend will continue. So the, the great part about cheese, too, is that um, it, it doesn't contain as much lactose in it as milk does. And so mm -hmm. we can see people who might be lactose intolerant can still enjoy the great cheeses out there. And, you know, whether you're a cheddar lover or a Gouda or a Brie or blue cheese, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, there's local cheeses out there. I just encourage everybody to, if they go to their store, to the, their local creamery, just to check it out and, and make it a part part of their Christmas holiday or their New Year's holiday and, and pair it with some crackers or pair it with some fruit or pair it with some uh, wine or chocolate, whatever, whatever you're Whatever your little heart desires, you can you can pair it up with cheese. Don't you think there's there's a lot of holiday tradition that people don't necessarily think about when it comes to cheese? I, I think about my own family history, and you know the the youngsters. What, what can you do to keep busy? Well, here, why don't you cut up this this block of cheese? And and then you know that grew into the art of of making the arrangement on the on the tray that was going to be on the table or on the on the side table. And and now anymore, shoot, it's it's almost a it's almost a, a race to see who can get to grandma's house first to start in on. On, on cutting up the cheese and arranging the plate. That's right, and it's so much fun. I mean, that's the great thing about it. And there's some, you know, we've we've had an opportunity to do some some cheese boards and arrange it, and we have some great folks that are able to help you with that. Because if you're like me, it's just like you, I just slap it on there and and hope that it looks good, and then you know. But I, there's more yeah. creative people out there than that, and uh, but you know, the pairing it up correctly too. You know, making sure what cheeses go with what what um, fruits or what nuts and things like that. And, and at MidwestDairy.com, we have a, a brochure that can help you with that as well. And, you know, it's just a great way to, and even a conversation piece. I mean, they've got cheese boards now where you can write on them and different things. So it's a, it's a great uh -huh. conversation starter, a great thing to have around the table. And if you're playing cards or playing a board game or something, you can just have it sitting right there and, and let everybody enjoy it. 
what do you recommend? Is it a, is it a good combination of the softs and the hards and the, the semi-softs and, 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 and that kind of thing? Uh, is it the ones that you know everybody likes, or is this a time to, to expand the palate and say, hey, this sounds like something we might want to try? I, I think it's a great time to expand your palate just a little bit. I mean, we've always stuck with that. Our family, you know, we've always stuck with the, the traditional because I know everybody that he likes them, but then here a few weeks ago, I had the chance to kind of expand a little bit. We went, we went with a sharper, really sharper white cheddar, and, and it was really good, and people enjoyed it and liked it. So I think it's maybe a combination of both, and if you can do that, um, I'm sure there's uh, – some people don't like smoked cheeses. I love smoked cheeses. So I think mm-hmm. put something on there that you like but that you know that other people may enjoy as well, and just – it's that's the great thing about it. There's so many things out there. Just don't be so, don't be overwhelmed by it. Um, and if you just want to stick with the old traditionals, then, then that's great too. So we just want everybody to enjoy the, the great tasting cheeses that are out there. Well, I know I've, I've got some that, that I always get around the holidays, um, horseradish cheese. There's one that the local the supermarket calls a farmer cheese. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm like you, so throw some smoked in there. It really doesn't matter. It, it's all good and, and, like you say, a lot of fun at the same time. And with charcuterie boards being, I think, uh, very much trending, the highlight to me is, is putting cheese and, and then garnish them with things, uh, things on the side. Yeah, and you know, another great, if you're going, if you do happen to be going somewhere for the holidays or for New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, it's always a great little hostess gift, too. A great way to kind of take that yeah. and, and uh, show your hostess that you appreciate their time and, and what, they have, what they've been doing. Or even as a Christmas gift, I know that I'm doing some of that this year um, for Christmas gifts and with a cheese board and giving that, of, giving that away. So um, simple, easy. If you need a last-minute gift, there you go. <laughs> Um, but it's always a, it's a great time of the year to, to enjoy it. And don't forget cooking you with bet. it as well, you know, macaroni and cheese. That's, That's right. Thanks so much, Stacy. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and... His camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve! By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. 